This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We've got a number of great guests lined up. Unfortunately, we don't have them lined up for today's program. We've been trying to get uh, Dr. Jared Diamond of UCLA, the author of the celebrated Guns, Germs, and Steel, as well as Collapse, How Societies Choose to, su- to Fail or Succeed. We'd like to give you a heads up for uh, Dr. Diamond's uh, appearance on the National Geographic Channel, which will be on September 18th at 8 p.m. On Sunday, the National Geographic Channel will time travel 200 years into the future to see what the world would look like after civilization as we know it collapsed. This will be guided by Jared Diamond's research and experience. Jared Diamond and other scientists will juxtapose the fall of history's great societies, including the Roman Empire and Mayan civilization, and our potential collapse, urging us all to leverage innovation and technology to chart a more sustainable course. We expect to have Dr. Diamond on next week's program to talk about this special, but of course it would help if you saw it first, which is why I'm plugging it so generously at the top of the show. He may, of course, have a pop quiz a little later. We've also been given the green light by Gerald Nachman to talk about his favorite book, Raised on Radio. We're huge fans of that book, and we'll explain a little bit uh, why that is later in the program as we kind of... Uh, do something we've never done before on this show, but, uh, you know, that'll be in our third segment. It struck me a few days ago how many connections there were to certain things we were running down, and I want to just basically do an overview of how things link up in sort of the small world category, I guess you might say. We're also going to see if we can't go after Daniel Okrent to talk about his book on prohibition, but that one's uh, not, uh, not certain yet. But please, don't bet against us. You're likely to lose if you do. We also figure we'll have Phil Proctor of the Firesign Theater come back on the program. Uh, the boys are getting together for a gig up in Marin, I think, on the 1st of October, and uh, I'm sure that some of you listening are wanna go, gonna wanna see that. And we're probably gonna have someone come on to talk with us about Pedro Carolino, the author of the world's worst phrase book. But let us begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History. The date in question is the 16th. Of September. It was on September 16th in 1253 that the French Franciscan William of Rubach left the camp of Mongol leader Batu Khan on a great journey to Karakoram, the Mongol capital. His account of the trip became a classic of history and travel. I'm sorry to say I have not read that account, but we would refer you to our own archives for our discussion about the legendary Mongol Empire and Genghis Khan. If you'd like to check our archives, and I think you, you should, dear listener, that would be our interview with Jack Weatherford. And the book was titled Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World. We really like that one. All right, where were we? September 16th, 1498. One of history's great villains dies in Avila, Spain. Tomas de Torquemada, head of the Spanish Inquisition was said to be responsible for the torturing of innumerable, quote, heretics, unquote, also Jews, apostates, and other nonconformers, some 2,000 of whom he burned at the stake. 
This is one reason we should really value our freedom of religion in the United States. We don't have an official religion, and thank God for that. In another matter involving Spain, on September 16th in 1810, Miguel Hidalgo, a Catholic priest, launched the Mexican War of Independence. Mexico was, I believe, the first of the Spanish colonies to break away. Of course, the Mexican War of Independence uh, included where we're broadcasting from now, Alta California, along with Nevada, New Mexico, Arizona, and parts of Colorado, not to mention Utah, were once a part of Mexico. And uh, I guess I left off Texas as well. But as far as I'm concerned, uh, that should be given back. But yes, 200 years ago today, Father Hidalgo started the ball rolling. He paid for his uh, revolutionary zeal with his head. But uh, what he started uh, did perpetuate and marked the beginning of the end for the rotten, corrupt empire of Spain. If I might digress a bit, I would note that the city of Potosi, something like 14,000 feet up in the Bolivian Andes, may have kept that Spanish empire afloat for 300 years by literally minting more silver coins than the uh, corrupt royalty could spend. Of course, this depended upon the usual brutal Spanish colonial methods of bringing people in to work as slave labor in the mines, feeding them on coca leaves and letting them starve to death to be replaced by yet more slaves. If you ever get to Bolivia, and I hope you do, I think that's uh, certainly a worthwhile tourist destination. Fascinating place. Remember so well Maria Laura, our, uh, our tour guide, taking us through these uh, tunnels, which formed a great labyrinth, and noted that uh, the indigenous people thought that the Spanish were gods. Evil gods, she added, but gods. And speaking of evil and religion, it was on September 16th in 1845 that Phineas Wilcox was stabbed to death by fellow Mormons in Nauvoo, Illinois. He was believed to be a Christian spy, and his murder was an act of, quote, blood atonement, unquote, a Mormon doctrine stating that murder was sometimes necessary to save a sinful soul. Kind of reminds me of our uh, fighting forces in Vietnam admitted that they had destroyed a village in order to save it. I don't know what it is about September 16th, but on this date, the same mentality was loosed in West Beirut. September 16th, 1982, hours after Israeli forces enter the city, Christian phalangist militiamen, that's Christian in quotes, began a massacre of Palestinians at the Sabra and Shatila refugee camps. Within two days, a thousand men, women, and children were slain. Gosh, we need some kind of an up note for this date. All right, here's two better items. September 16, 1835, the HMS Beagle, the British ship bearing naturalist Charles Darwin, arrived at the Galapagos Islands. Charles Darwin's observation of the Galapagos finches contributed greatly to his developing theory of natural selection and the evolution of species. Four years later on this date in 1839, the first daguerreotypes in America are made. That's less than a month after the French inventor Louis Daguerre published the method and declared it, quote, free to the world, unquote. Let's hear it for Louis Daguerre. All right, for our quote and quip of the day, I think we'll go to the topic of the Bible. 
The quote, I think we may have used it before, but I'm going to use it again, from Alfred North Whitehead is, The total absence of humor from the Bible is one of the most singular things in all literature. Personally, that's why this correspondent has his doubts about the accuracy of the Bible. Every word of it written by Jews, not one joke, something's not adding up. And our quip comes from Mark Twain, who said, It ain't those parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. And bonus quote from Bertrand Russell, who said, So far as I can remember, there's not one word in the Gospels in praise of intelligence. All right, and our quip slash joke of the day comes from the late George Carlin, who said in his book, Napalm and Silly Putty, Have you ever been talking to yourself when suddenly someone comes in the room and you have to make believe you were singing, and you hope to God the other person really believes there's a song called, What If She Thinks I'm a Putz? Our stat of the day is according to the Harris Interactive slash Health Day poll, 30% of Americans classified as overweight say they are of normal weight. 70% of the obese say that they are only overweight. This in a nation where one-fifth of the population thinks that its president is Muslim. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for Vulcans, if not necessarily Earthlings. After the Washington Shakespeare Company in Arlington, Virginia, announced that it would perform selections from Hamlet and Much Ado About Nothing in the fictional Klingon language from Star Trek. Oh my... It was also a bad week last week for getaways, after an Italian robber looking for a hiding place mistakenly ran into a Florence police station he believed to be a post office, wherein he met the couple that he had just robbed. And it surely has to have been a bad week last week for Russia's national health care plan, after the country's finance minister urged his fellow citizens to drink and smoke more in order to boost tax revenues. Said Alexei Kudrin, If you smoke a pack of cigarettes, that means you're giving more to help solve social problems. Those who drink, those who smoke, are doing more to help the state. And from the Only in America file, we have this item. Apparently, a suburban Chicago school district is inserting GPS devices into every student's backpack so that their nervous parents can track their children's whereabouts. The device lets schools know every time a child boards or disembarks from a school bus. Said Ann O'Brien, a mother of four, a little peace of mind helps you get through the day. They can locate a kid and bus in seconds. And from the not-necessarily-only-in-America file, we have this item. Apparently, officials in a western Pennsylvania school district are apologizing after they say students at a local high school 
were accidentally shown pornographic pictures during a school assembly. Apparently, the kids at Norwin High School, east of Pittsburgh, were watching a presentation on the importance of donating blood. School officials said a few pornographic pictures on a personal flash drive of a central blood bank representatives appeared on the screen. The central blood bank apologized, said the unnamed employee was suspended indefinitely. School officials apologized and said the police department and prosecutor were notified. It's the part I like about the story best. A blood donation presentation for the junior class was canceled. And from the it sounds like a joke, but it's real file. Actually, let's back up. Let's start with the joke. The joke was that the Italian space agency announced plans to go to the sun. When asked if they were concerned about burning up during the voyage, they said, no, no, it's not a problem. We're going to go at night. But the real news story is that NASA is apparently planning a mission to the sun. They're hoping to send a mission out there within the next decade and hope to solve a number of solar mysteries. Reportedly, astronomers have been talking about trying to visit the sun since 1958, the dawn of the space age, when a panel of scientists recommended studying the feasibility of such a journey. Apparently, a car-sized spacecraft dubbed the Solar Probe Plus will be outfitted with a heat shield designed to withstand temperatures as high as 1,400 degrees Celsius, which is about 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. This mission will seek to learn why the sun's atmosphere is so much hotter than its surface and how the behavior of our nearest star affects the weather we have here on Earth. And no, it's not going to land on the sun. The surface temperature of the sun is what, like 11,000 degrees? The, the solar atmosphere is a lot hotter, but luckily it's a lot thinner. So that, that heat shield does have at least a fighting chance. And speaking of our solar system, which we like to do on this program, we were quite tickled by the headline of the Sacramento Bee earlier this month, which was that uh, the chances for life on Mars just got better, which is frankly something that doesn't make page one of America's uh, newspapers very often. But the story notes that when we landed on uh, Mars back in 1976 in the Viking mission, the spacecraft had a little claw on board, which is going to dump some Martian soil into some testing devices to look for... uh, among other things, organic material. Scientists were quite dismayed to find that down to the billion, you know, down to the parts per billion in the soil, they did not find organic material. So it's kind of a strange finding because the, or- the solar system's full of organic material. Everywhere you go, you find it practically. So people have taken a look back at how they did the study, and they found out that it appears that was a false negative result. It turns out there are things called perchlorates in the Martian soil, and when somebody went back and decided to test what would happen if you mixed about that amount of perchlorate found in the soil and did the testing here on Earth as they did on Mars, well, they're looking to see whether they would you know, turn up organics. Well, they didn't, even when organics were present in the sample, which means that, yeah, those compounds apparently screwed up the results on Mars and that we're now pretty confident that there are organic materials in the Martian soil. And I hasten to add, organic materials do not prove that there's life there. But if you definitely have no organic material, that's pretty good proof that there isn't life. So uh, anyway, kind of a tie for those who would hope to find life on uh, the red planet. The punchline of all this, of course, is that we have to go back and use some different instruments and test a little more carefully. And, you know, we've, we've given odds on this, on this show that the chances of finding life on Mars are probably something like one in three, and we're sticking to that. 
In fact, every year that goes by, that uh, prognostication we made many years back is looking better and better. Also note an uh, article by Brent Clayton and Jennifer Dlawi in the Hearst newspapers about the fact that BP's analysis of what happened down there in the Gulf has come up with eight possible causes. Of course, as long as you have eight possible causes, then you don't have one real cause, do you? Noted the Hearst newspapers in a much-anticipated report on its internal investigation, BP reiterated that a, quote, complex and interlinked series, unquote, of equipment failures and human error led to the deadly incident and subsequent oil spill. Key contractors quickly dismissed BP, BP's report as self-serving. BP is, of course, denying that the oil well design, which had been widely criticized, was at fault. The blowout preventer was hauled up from the ocean floor last week to undergo a, quote, autopsy, unquote, by federal investigators, which I'm sure will be every bit as expert and thorough as the one given to President Kennedy back in 1963. But we ain't going there today. There's a bit of follow-up on our talk with Cosmo Garvin of the Sacramento News and Review last week about uh, the efforts of the Sacramento City Council to ban food trucks. I want to quote from an article by Tovin Lappin in the San Diego Union-Tribune, who notes that from New York to Texas to California, a gourmet food truck trend is sweeping the nation. Notes these new wave trucks, typically launched by trained chefs, serve restaurant-quality fare. Part of the credit for the truck's popularity belongs to Twitter and Facebook, which can give followers up-to-minute reports on their locations. Los Angeles' Kogi Korean Barbecue to-go has a strong online presence and draws lines hundreds deep for its Korean tacos. And in fact, Chris Macias of the Sacramento Bee got quoted in The Week magazine, noting that L.A., Austin, New York, and Portland, Oregon are leading the food truck movement. Each city has different rules about health inspections, permits, and where the trucks may park. Even so, many operate in a legal gray zone, and they've had more success gaining support from foodies than city officials. All right, we've got a couple minutes left. Let's see if we can hear from our good pal, America's foremost political comic, Mr. Will Durst. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with a few words about doom, impending doom, deep impending Democratic Party doom, losing both houses of Congress, deep impending Democratic Party doom. Then again, maybe not so much doomishness. A week ago, the Gallup organization released a tracking poll that gave the GOP a 10-point lead when voters were asked which party they prefer. Oh, and the wailing and the crowing began. Democrats avoided Obama like a skunk dipped in botulism toxin, and commentators on Fox News boasted that voters preferred having a sack full of snarling weasels dropped into their pants than vote for a Democrat. And being home to Bill O'Reilly, it was assumed they knew what they were talking about. Then this week, Gallup released another poll showing the two parties dead even, tied, a double-digit swing in one week. Why? Nobody knows. Might have been a backlash after Glenn Beck went to the Lincoln Memorial to reclaim the civil rights movement for loud, angry, chubby white guys. Might have been a collective parental sigh of relief after returning budget-busting, vacationing kids to school. 
Might have been Obama coming back from 10 days of golfing with the big-time swells of Martha's Vineyard. And it was a comeback worthy of Secretariat. In Milwaukee on Labor Day, the president floated a program to rebuild our infrastructure. And who's against filling potholes big enough to qualify for their own area code? Besides John Boehner, that is. Then, in Ohio, he proposed cutting taxes on small businesses, putting the GOP on the defensive since they offered up the very same legislation during the Bush administration. Of course, now they're against it, which, in an election year, is as surprising as a belt buckle on a rodeo star. So, to doom or not to doom, that is the question. The voters hate the Democrats, except when they don't, which could be today or maybe tomorrow. And I hope that makes everything as clear as the view through the windshield of a VW Beetle going uphill with a blown head gasket. In other words, same as it ever was. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Gibbs. Always a pleasure to hear Mr. Durst. And you know, someone asked me a few days back, uh, who is that fellow you have on your show all the time? To which I replied, he's probably America's greatest political comic. Had to admit, yeah, he's pretty good. I would say if you're not familiar with the work of Will Durst, besides what you hear on this program, check him out. He's got quite an extensive body of work to his credit and uh, does appear locally from time to time. We'd like to give a little advance notice to you, dear listener, when he is coming around so you have a chance to go uh, listen to him. It's, it's generally well worth your while. We've been thinking about sponsoring a local appearance of his sometime in the next few months. We'll, we'll see if that happens. do want to note that uh, among Mr. Durst's other talents are uh, that of movie reviewer. He told me to check out me and Orson Welles a few months ago. I, uh, I did so on his advice. I was knocked out by Chris McKay's channeling of the late Mr. Welles. I think I'm going to use that as a starting point for our uh, little discussion that I mentioned at the top of the show in segment three. We're going to kind of pull up anchor and let things drift a bit and just talk about what, uh, whatever comes to mind. But uh, let's take a break. We're overdue. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. 